0: Okay, most important part. (laughs) What did Jonah's family say when he told them about what happened before reaching Nineveh? (laughs) Hmm, sounds fishy. (laughs) (laughs) What was Moses' wife Zipporah or Zephora known as when she'd throw dinner parties? The hostess with the Moses. Oh and then finally what do you call a Bible character who just pulled into church a parking lot
1: oh my goodness
0: get it <laughs> <laughs> I should have stopped at Moses <laughs> yeah. okay alright so we kind of had a detour uh, the last Sunday we didn't mean of course last week but the last Sunday that we met um, we had the spontaneous message uh, unbelief and offense I think is what that was called. And so today we're going to go back to the byproduct of wisdom and uh, and then I'm very excited because soon Kathy will be starting. Her series, and we're just going to do it off and on as she, you know, has time to prepare and things. But I'm really excited excited about that because I it's
1: It's good.
0: (laughs) I like Kathy's teaching because it's extremely practical. Like to me, yeah, it's just very it's deep, but it's practical, and I love that. It challenges and causes you to want to go deeper. Uh, But so basically. We started out, just to do a quick recap, because this won't take long today, is that uh, the byproduct of wisdom, and we could go back into our notes to a couple places, but one of them is Proverbs 8, 18 through 21. So let me read that. It says, Riches and honor are with me. Now that's wisdom talking. Enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, than fine gold and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasures, treasures, treasuries. Okay, the first uh, one that we read was uh, Proverbs, I believe it's 3, 16 through 18. And it says, long life is in wisdom's right hand, In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Okay, so wisdom in her hand is riches and honor. Riches is like land and, you know, wealth and things like that. But I also believe, I've got it down here, uh, that... Riches is also, or enduring riches, is wealth that makes a nation or city important in the world trade markets, but will be useless in time of judgment, God's judgment, and uh, wrath. So, enduring riches and righteousness are with wisdom. Didn't Jesus say, enduring riches too? Or did he say, uh, let's see, how do you put if you can't handle you know, worldly matters or earthly, who will give you, is it the spiritual riches? Is that how he phrased it? I wonder if he said enduring. And the reason I wonder that is it would tie back to the fact that enduring riches are wealth, is wealth that makes a nation or city important. And, uh, and if so, that goes about, you know, back to the marketplace again. You know, how you steward your wealth uh, will determine whether you get cities, really. Uh, Passive income, uh, being a good steward of your talents, multiplication, all of those things. If someone finds that scripture, please let me know because I'm curious, did he say spiritual riches, enduring riches, etc.? So the word uh, honor there, so we have wealth or riches and honor tied together in two places, And we know that honor is kabod or kabod, which is the word for glory in the Hebrew. And I read the definition a couple weeks ago that the word kabod or kabod, which one is it? Does anybody know? Kabod. That it um, includes wealth in its definition. And the very first place wealth is used is in uh, Genesis, I believe, 31, verse 1, where it talks about how Jacob took Laban's glory, or it's translated wealth. And then from past teachings, we know that the enemy was after the splendor and the glitter of cities, or the glory, right? And he told Jesus, if you worship me, I will give you the glory and the uh, authority that's in these nations, these kingdoms, And then we also see that a byproduct of wisdom is deliverance. So with uh, Paul, Paul was being beaten, ran out of cities. He was actually stoned to death until he made himself relevant to the marketplace by wisdom. So wisdom became his deliverance. And from that point on, he was protected in his endeavors unless it was appointed by God that he suffered for his faith. So what I'm teaching is not uh, a prosperity doctrine, which I didn't know what that was until a couple years ago. I'm teaching that wealth is tied to the taking of nations. Wealth and wisdom. And we know that people would come to Solomon for his wisdom and that his name, God's name, was tied to Solomon's fame. So the presence and the fame of Solomon were together and you could not separate them. Did you find it? No, not
1: what I think it's, yeah. Okay. Not yet.
0: Okay, so with that recap, then we want to go to the fact, the first fact, that wisdom brings wealth. Now, wisdom is better than all the wealth there is because God is wisdom. So when you possess wisdom, you are possessed by God. Now he begins to operate in your soul. So it's a spiritual, you know, wisdom from God is wisdom from above. It's a spiritual thing. He operates in your spirit and it begins to manifest through your mind, your will, and your emotions. And uh, so wisdom means that you're thinking, how you uh, manage the internal world that you live in, Uh, all of that. Is a possession of God's wisdom when you start walking in it more and more and more. And I like how it says, you know, in the Proverbs that wisdom only walks in the way ways of righteousness and in the paths of justice. So that can take us to today's political climate. If you look at the video that uh, Kathy sent, it was really interesting. But one of the things, and I've heard this now two or three times, where uh, the angel of the Lord, oh, and it was in that Tomi teaching, uh, he talked about how the angel of the army of the Lord was coming from the direction of Jericho. And in Joshua, or Yeshua, so Yeshua meets Yeshua, uh, they have this conversation, and the first thing out of you know, Joshua's mouth is, whose side are you on? Well, of course he asked that, because he was coming out of Jericho. And uh, so he said, neither. I'm on God's side. Well, it's the same thing in that video that you sent where Lance Wallnau was talking about that very same story. He said, it's not a Democrat or a Republican. It's whose side are you on? It's God's. So the way you measure, and I, I got all the keys I need now on how important voting is for a believer. So now I've got some doctrine I'll be sharing in the Deplorables podcast I got it on the way to Truth or Consequences last weekend. But you have this situation where, okay, what's righteousness? Well, righteousness is doing what is kingdom. Righteousness is doing what is right in God's eyes. So that means not killing babies, right? That means enforcing border security, which the Bible is very plain you're supposed to do. If you want to get to the crux of the fall of the Roman Empire, it was porous borders. That's what took them down. Uh, It is uh, fiscal responsibility. It's justice, which means that it's injustice for Biden to have a wall around his property, but we can't secure and have our wall that we voted in around our property of the United States. It's where you can't call parents terrorists and yet go after patriots as if they're terrorists, but let BLM organizations burn cities down. You see what I mean? So now, for Christians, it's no longer a party. I mean, you've even got bought and paid for Republican in name only that are just as sold out and just as bought by Facebook and Big Corporation and George Soros. So you have to look at which voice is righteous, which voice is righteous is saying, we will not kill babies, we will secure our borders, etc., etc. So it's going to be very plain. So when you get to, I'm not Republican, I'm not Democrat, I'm on my side, that's what God's saying, I'm on my side, his side is wisdom. Wisdom always supports righteousness and justice. And, like, I loved what Tommy said, and I've thought the same thing. This was my main beef with Christians from the time President Trump declared he was going to run. And that is, well, he's not a Christian. Well, he's too rough. He's too gruff. He's too rude, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, okay, first of all, uh, if we go by your standards, when Jesus called religious leaders sons of hell and then his disi- their disciples even more sons of hell, and when uh, John the Baptist you know, called them whitewashed sepulchers, vipers, you have Jesus with a whip running people out of his house, right? So uh, that could be a support for gun uh, rights. But anyway, if you have all of this going on, you would apply the same standard to Jesus and say, well, he couldn't be the Messiah because he's rude, and he talks to religious leaders in a very rude and insensitive way. So then we get him in there, and suburban moms are upset because he's so rude and he's not going to bring unity, etc., etc. And so then we get someone that looks really good on the outside, dumber than a sack full of hammers on the inside, and as deceptive as you can get pathological liar-in-chief, right? So now suburban moms are being called terrorists. Wisdom cannot be judged by what you see with your eyes. Wisdom requires discernment. So like he said, you got Rahab, a prostitute, who uses the very tool of her business to hide the spies you got Jehu that they called a madman that was anointed, literally, to kill Jezebel. And when we had our Jehu in office, what did we do? Right? The other problem that I see is wisdom does not rely on one man. Mm-hmm. Wisdom is the mind of Christ as a whole. So there's going to need to be a unity in the body. I love how Tommy said, we are not a religious organization. We are the government of God on earth. And I think that that is one of the key revelations that's going to have to come to pastors, that's going to have to have to come to churches. We are not a religious organization. We've never been a religious organization. The person who made us into a relig- religious organization was actually Constantine and the Roman army, or the Roman government. Well, and then you've got, if you
1: think that every... For every leader has to be a Christian, a born-again Christian, I'll put it that way, believer. Then you've got to throw away Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible because he did not believe. Some of the greatest, And but it says clearly that God raised him up.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and unfortunately it's for the judgment for, of Israel, which a sign of a judgment on a nation is a wicked and immature leader.
1: Okay.
0: And like he said, we're going to have one more chance and so urgent education, telling as many people as possible, uh, getting our framework in place, which that's my, my next step. I'm now, uh, this week, starting on the political idea and how to bring people together. Is there already an organization or organizations that can do that? Like, what is that next step? And so we've got to have urgent education, especially with the Catholic population. Because there's now two types of Catholics. I don't know if you know this. Okay. There's a type of Catholics that are going with uh, demonic rituals in the Vatican, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's other Catholics that are devoted to Jesus, but they have no idea the corruption that's going on in their uh, their church, which still, most Catholics are against abortion, mm-hmm. right? So we've got to start joining forces. But you're right. It's like Uh, Like he said, Jehu was called a madman. When the media calls a guy a madman, you know he's probably God's anointed. So I would prefer spirit-filled Christians because I think spirit-filled Christians have the potential to be the wisest potential. Because a lot of spirit-filled, independent Christians, uh, they don't use wisdom. So they have the potential to be the wisest in office. But the main question is, are they anointed? So when you look at the founding fathers, most of them were believers, most of them. And even the one that wasn't, Ben Franklin, was one of the uh, greatest defenders of Christianity and public teachings and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it was crazy. The guy that did not believe Jesus was God was the most, uh, you know, um, zealous in his defense of Christianity because he said, if we take the Bible away, when uh, Thomas Paine wrote The Age of Reason... He told him to burn the manuscript and don't let anybody ever see it because you're attacking Christianity. And he said, if you take away Christianity from this society and you take away the Bible, there will be no boundary for the vice of men because men are incredibly wicked. You know what I mean? And so it's like here we have people that are coming up into New Mexico, coming up into Arizona, they're spirit filled Christians. If they're not the ones anointed, I'm not voting for them. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, "Well, we should vote for who was a, a Lion Ted, Lion Ted Cruz." Yeah, I can't remember <laughs> my <him by> Ted. <laughs> Ted Cruz. All the Christians liked him. I was like, "No, no, I don't think so." Trump gets in office now. I would vote for Ted Cruz because yeah. a lot of the politician has been knocked off, right? Yeah. All that to say, wisdom. Always votes for righteousness and justice, and discernment is required to know who to vote for. And if you think you don't need to vote as a Christian, just sign up for a Deplorables, We the Deplorables, Deplorables podcast, and I'll be getting to that soon.
1: Well, and I tell you, we're talking about wisdom, and I don't know that it differentiates that you have to be a Christian to have it. No. Well, it says, well, you know, it talks about seeking after wisdom, and we know all kinds of people. And they will get in an area. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. They will be focused because they seek after it. Yeah. Maybe they're going to be the best in um, uh, you know, ancient history or yeah. whatever. And they seek after that. Yeah. And they become wise because they seek after it. Yeah. And I see this being Trump. We need to pray. I think that his wisdom spreads out because I think he's incredibly wise in how to run a business and how to run a organization, let's just put it that way. I think he's very wise in that. Maybe he wasn't quite so wise in certain other right, things. Right. But that doesn't mean that he would not have the potential to be.
0: And we even see I that see what in, you mean
1: we even see that with um, Solomon. Uh-huh. He was wise in almost everything except wives. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, yeah. his choice of wives and women, Yeah, I think, maybe he living him And multiplying
0: horses. And it's like, you know, like Bill Johnson says, you have to live the revelation mm-hmm. you carry. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't live the revelation you carry, you get deceived. And so, yes, I do think wisdom, like, it was wisdom that inspired Ben Franklin to say that. You know, it was wisdom that inspired our founding fathers. In fact, he, Ben Franklin was the one that said, we need chaplains. When we were forming this nation... And all the Founding Fathers were having their Congress, and they were trying to figure out, okay, what type of government do we want a complete democracy, a republic? And they were studying all the ancient governments. Finally, Ben Franklin stood up and said, hey, guys. He said, first of all, I'm not sure why we're even doing anything without praying for the benefit of Providence uh, to come and bless these meetings. Number two, why are we studying the governments of nations that no longer exist? Surely God has a better idea. That's a good one is wisdom that anointed a pagan. Because he was <laughs> he was a pagan. And so, you're right, Kathy. It's like there's an anointing that can come. That's why the anointing, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is a spirit of wisdom. When a person is anointed, they will operate in a wisdom they normally do not possess. For example, Saul. Holy Spirit's left Saul. He's being tormented by a demonic mm-hmm. spirit, right? David is introduced into his life Uh, to play music, to calm his mind whenever the demons come and torment him uh, until he started trying to kill him because David killed more people than him. Then what happens? He's pursuing David, and he hits pockets of prophetic portals and begins to prophesy. And everybody's all, well, how is he prophesying when he's trying to kill his son-in-law? It happened several times. One time he stripped himself naked and just laid there and prophesied. What happened? He came into a portal of presence. He encountered the anointing and all of a sudden, it was like he was a different man. Right? So that's what happened to the anointing, which is why, guys, you look at fruit. Well, that, and I, you know, I think,
1: even before we we can be saved or are saved, that sometimes if God especially has a destiny for that person, he doesn't just wait till the, okay, you have no wisdom priest Right. And then you have all the wisdom afterwards. He begins to filter and and sift and implant and everything right. ready. It's just like planting a seed. Yeah, you know, and waiting for those right conditions, the rain, the sun, etc., to pop up. And uh, I see that with sometimes with the wisdom, they may not get the full benefit of wisdom until they are believers. Yeah, but I think that. Well, I just look at at president trump i look at even some of our uh greatest uh pastors and stuff they had some kind of revelation before they were ever saved and or, or they went into certain or they had urges and wants and they they knew something wasn't right they were striving right et etc cetera, et cetera. and and then when this when they were saved then boom you All know percent.
0: then we could see that Maybe what people call common sense is wisdom. Yeah. So wisdom, it's when you're anointed, you have the wisdom of God. You have the favor of God. And like I was saying, that's why you have to look at fruit. Because a lot of times the anointing will continue on a person that's already straying in their heart from the Lord. And so it's really important to have discernment. Again, discernment is like I have been saying this for years The most lacking of all the gifts in the body of Christ is discernment. We will take a beating from religious spirits teaching us from the pulpit, Antichrist spirits teaching from the pulpit. We'll vote in people that shouldn't be voted in because we don't like their personality or their skin color or because we like their skin color. It's like everything that was being said about our former president is now a reality in this president. So people are getting what they voted for. Uh, and like one lady said, you got to vote by male president. That's exactly what you got, you know. And so it is, it's very important to look at the fruit because the anointing can linger, just like Adam and Eve lived like 900 and whatever years after the fall because the life, the presence, the anointing of God, it lingers like a perfume, a really nice perfume. So it can sometimes be deceptive if you're not looking at fruit. And then you have her revenue. I like that. Her pay. Her revenue, the wages that wisdom gives those who pursue her is choice silver, fine gold, and then she causes those who love her to inherit wealth. Now, get this. This is really cool. The uh, phrase inherit wealth is yes in the Hebrew. It's the word yes. I think it's yes, if you pronounce it correct. It means to be and to exist. And we first came across this word in the warfare of wealth. Uh, But let me quote uh, what we learned from that teaching. It expresses possibility or ability like God is able. But here's what's very interesting. In the Passion Translation, it says that the Aramaic is, I will leave great hope as an inheritance to my friends. In Colossians 127, it says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope or the expectation of glory. Glory is a true apprehension of God in his unchanging essence, which is Holy Spirit in us. And in the New Testament, it also means wealth. Doxa, which is the word for glory, K in the Greek, "...embraces all which is excellent in the divine nature. Wealth is contained in the glory of God, and the glory of God is contained in our body." So in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, "...but we have this treasure in earth and vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us." Treasure in the Greek is, quote, "...anything laid up in store, wealth, spiritual treasuries, and metaphorically, the storehouse of the mind, where the thoughts, feelings, or counsels are laid up, which is why it's so important to renew the mind. So Christ in you is the glory of God in you and the wealth of God in you through the Spirit of God in you. The greatest glory is God in you, but again, within that glory is wealth. So if we go back up to the inherent wealth is yes in the Hebrew. So what this means is the inheritance to inherit wealth is speaking of the spirit of glory, and then if you look down, I don't know if I have this, but it might have been up and earlier where it says, uh, "All the promises of God are yes and amen, and amen in mm. Christ." Or so what that means is you have to be in Christ. Christ needs to be in you. So all the promises of God are yes and amen. Do we see? all of the promises and 100% fulfillment in our lives. No, because living in the promises is, and this is important, tapping into the capability and the ability of God in you to begin to walk wisdom out. Okay? So when you look at the Israelites, they, they go to the, you know, they cross the Jordan River, right? They're about to go into the land. The wisdom of God was get circumcised. What? What do you mean get circumcised? Yep, get circumcised. Okay. The second wisdom was I want you to attack Jericho, but not really. What you're going to do is you're going to walk around it seven days, last day seven times, and then you're going to let out a sound. And heaven's sound is going to join with your sound and these massive five-foot in-width walls are going to come crashing down. Except for one part, Rahab's living quarters, right? Where the blood has been applied. Then, once they got to the promised land, they had to keep taking ground through wisdom. Then, they had to learn to grow crops, to build an economy, to establish a government. You see what I mean? So, it was a process. Wisdom is a process. It's where God's like, Hey, it's time for you to have some dental work. Call here, call here. No, I want you to go this direction. Hey, it's time for you to pay off debt and quit being stupid. Okay, where do we start? Well, don't use your credit cards anymore. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it really, I think sometimes Christians, because of this doctrine that God is in control and allows this and allows that and does all this stuff, we have created like this passive victim mindset where we're waiting on God to do everything. When that reality is, wisdom is take this first step, and then take the next. And before you know it, you've walked out this process of ability and capability and all of a sudden, all your dreams come true. And then, throw in some supernatural blessing and some supernatural giving and miracles and your process is accelerated where what you thought would take you five years, you have in five weeks. Well,
1: that and you, it just is training on how to listen to God mm-hmm. because some people, like, I wish I could hear God. Well, he's probably been telling you through easy things. Like yeah. you said, which dentist to go to, what, you know. Yeah. Uh, what, did, And we have just like...
0: That can't be... Him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, that can't, it can't be that easy. It can't be exactly. that simple. That must be me. You know, and, and, and again, if you want to start with wisdom, just start reading the book of Proverbs. Okay. Because in the book of Proverbs is all the wisdom you need to live the life that wisdom will allow you to have. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be a cooperation. We're co-heirs. We must cooperate with God to attain his purposes on the earth. So I think a lot of times people
1: are that wisdom. They're given it. They have just not listening Mm-hmm. And so then, when it comes up to the big thing, they're like, okay, uh, I don't ever hear God. Yeah, you just
0: turn that blind ear yeah. to what He's saying. Because and, the
1: first thing he said.
0: Yeah, well, and a lot of times the big thing that you're now having to face showed up because you didn't that's listen right. to wisdom.
1: The yeah. yeah,
0: because it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. All of a sudden, when you have the disaster mm-hmm. of a spoiled vineyard that's impacting mm-hmm. your life, it's not because of God and it's not even the devil yeah it's not listening uh that is you know I know it's the decade to speak or whatever but in order to speak properly you need to first listen and be careful that you're speaking what God is saying you know so it's like the other night I was having my prayer time and and I you know was just talking to the Lord and I said what do you have to say like what's on your mind you know and you just sit there and you listen And a few little, it's usually ideas. Mm -hmm. Ideas will come up. You recognize Holy Spirit's uh, mood and his uh, unique feel. And it's like, oh, yes. And then we talk about, you know, something else. And then, you know, I'll be like, anything else? And then, like I do with y'all, does anybody get anything? Is there anything else y'all want to share? I'm like, is there anything else, Father? And I'm sitting there. It's like, you know, I think I'll just worship more. You know, it's that simple. Mm -hmm. So then what happens is that is translated out of, your prayer time into life, right? And it's just like we're talking about who to vote for, politics, okay?
1: People now see, oh, maybe I didn't vote right. I mean, there are people that say, oh, I should have stayed and voted for him. Yep. Because they weren't listening. Right. They weren't listening. So, you know, now, hopefully, they recognize, okay, I missed it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: I need to learn to zero in. I need to tweak it. Right. And they ought to be asking themselves, why did I not miss? Why?
0: How did I miss it? Exactly. Yeah. And and yeah. and I've yeah. seen people where they'll excuse the abortion, exactly. and don't excuse abortion. You vote independent. You vote Democrat. You are voting for abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's crap. If you now, if there was a Republican that supported abortion, and there was a Democrat mm-hmm. that didn't. Guess what? I'd be voting for the Democrat. Mm-hmm. So. It, this really is going to make or break our nation. And we're now seeing states that are starting to draw a line in the sand, no. and they're separating out of the federal idea of abortion, and they're setting up their own uh, bastions of uh, you know life. And so uh, Christians, if every Christian voted using discernment and wis- wisdom, we would never have another unrighteous president. All we need is 10 million more Christians to register to vote and to vote for life. If you can't support the demeanor of the person and you can't support how they deal with people, please support not killing babies. It doesn't get any plainer than that, you know. Well, they voted, basically they,
1: they cried out for a king and because Saul was good to look at. Uh-huh. They uh-huh. voted him in. Uh-huh. He wasn't really the one. Yep. But it was somebody, and we haven't learned anything from this day, Uh huh. is because we're still
0: wanting the one that appeals to our physical senses, basically. And that would bring mm-hmm. unity. Yeah. See, that unity thing is a heart cry of every believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not designed to live in division and strife. Uh, we're designed to live in peace. We're designed to live in love. But then you have the Lord who said, I didn't come to bring peace you know what i mean i came to bring a sword so what that means is there is a division and you cannot place unity above life you can't place uh, peace above life again it's the babies and so that's what you have to bring to the table is okay i may not like how he talks to this person or talks to that person but he he supports babies in the womb and so for that reason I'm going to support him. So it really is going to come down to that. And I don't know why people try to make it so complicated because it really is a party of death versus a party of life. I can't figure out why people are so confused, except now you're getting into reasoning, right? Mm-hmm. You're reasoning away. So we now have what everybody wanted. He's actually the exact opposite. He's an aging tra- Trojan horse with cobwebs inside, like uh, Greg Gutfeld says, and, and now we're paying the price. So hopefully even people that were <laughs> like, well, you know, I didn't like this person or I didn't like that or whatever are seeing and then, and then you have the Let's Go Brandon that's like going across a nation, because I don't want to say the other, obviously. You've got this thing where whoever has a son named Brandon, I'm sorry for you, because, you know, but we've got this whole movement, and that's America. I'm proud of America. She's starting to push yes. back, and we need that. Now, at this rate, we're not going to get done this morning, but it's good to get these things out. More politics need to be talked about, and pastors need to quit being uh, scared. Don't worry about the 501c3. Don't worry about it. You cannot fear losing that, and you can't fear losing tithes and offerings to the point where you don't speak truth. And if you don't know what I'm saying is truth, get in the Word, ask Holy Spirit. I don't care. Search these things out. That's what makes Christianity amazing. So when we go back to this idea of wealth and the ability and the capability to bring the promises of God as a reality into our lives, we know that this is referring to earthly storehouses, obviously. Um, But also, enduring riches, righteousness, and fruit, it has to be referring to something more. So the existence of the glory of God in us is in us, and the expectation of that, that more is what we're wanting. So Christ is wisdom. He lives in us. Wisdom lives in us. He is the glory. The glory lives in us. However, we don't want to over-spiritualize wisdom, kind of like we've talked about. You don't want to over-spiritualize. Keep things uh, simple and strategic—the Kiss Principle. Keep things simple and strategic. I prefer that, Drina versus oh, stupid. Okay. <laughs> and so, the thing is, is that wisdom is very, very practical, and it gets you out of trouble. So, when I like when I you know talk about Kathy's teachings being very practical, that's what I'm talking about. You've got certain people that walk in a wisdom, and so when they start teaching, it's extremely practical, extremely applicable applicable, and you can immediately put it to use in your life and have results. So in Proverbs 22.3, it says, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Or you could say the simple ignore it, right? So it's kind of like with the economy, Am I in fear saying, hey, we need to sell this house to pay off our building? No. I see where things are going. I went to, we went to Costco, greatest place ever, uh, yesterday. (laughs) We had so much meat and food. Um, It was piled in my car. We couldn't have put any more in the car. And uh, got Gigi, all kinds of new things. Anyway, and so we had to go to uh, Walmart after for some little things they didn't have that Gigi needed. And I think we needed a couple things. There's already bare shells. Mm -hmm. There's already bare shells over Mm -hmm. in Lubbock. Costco wasn't, but Walmart was. Um, So the thing is, is that there's a positioning. You don't do that out of fear, because containing wisdom is not fear. But you listen to the voice. What is the spirit of wisdom saying? Now, the word prudent means crafty, shrewd, and sensible. It's an aspect of wisdom. Wisdom is doing what you need to do before you need to do it. That, that phrase Holy Spirit gave me has like been, okay, wisdom is to do before, uh, or before you need to do it. So I'm going to do what I need to do before I need to do it. <clears throat> that has <clears throat> helped me so much in my own life since we uh, had that debt. Now, I want to read Matthew 6.33 in the Passion. It says, so above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him, then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. So you pray for the kingdom realm of God to enter your life. Wisdom leads you to pleasant places, out of trials, and brings unprecedented glory and wealth. We see this with Solomon. Unfortunately, now here's the thing, and this is wisdom, Doing what you need to do before you need to do it. The cracks in his foundation were already there, and like Kathy said, God was already talking to him. God was already telling him, "Hey, you probably shouldn't have, you know, six hundred wives or three hundred wives and six hundred concubines." Hey, the you know the Lord, your Jedediah, beloved, obey the law and you know build the house. I mean, he it was like God was trying to set him up for success. But he had cracks in his foundation, which we touched upon when we first started this series. Here's the deal you want to be ruthless wherever God is aimed at in your life. So, wherever He is really hammering you, and He does it in the exact measure and way you need, He turns up the heat enough to where you don't get burned, but you're uncomfortable. If you've got people that are coming to you telling you the same thing, if you're suffering in certain areas, if he's directly telling you whatever it is, got to say, okay, like, in less than 24 hours, rejoice always. Huh. So are you saying I need to rejoice always, which would imply that I'm not rejoicing always. So something must be coming that I need to rejoice always. And sure enough, there were a couple of things that occurred. So it's like rejoice always, pray in everything, and be thankful in everything. So that's what I've been doing. When he starts doing that, it's like, you know, it gets stuck on a part in a record. He just keeps saying the same thing, especially in a short period of time. You need to drop whatever you're doing, and you need to say, okay, it's obvious you're telling me something here. Mm -hmm. So what exactly is it that I need to know? Because then you can cooperate okay because sometimes we have a vision of where we're going and god's like nope i actually have a vision and if we don't mingle with him then what what's going to happen we're going to go separate directions we're going to get out of alignment with god with others in our business whatever it is in our, our nation obviously so we're going to get out of alignment What is he saying to you? So, a quick exercise is, just think back to the last week. What were repeated phrases, words, and ideas you heard? Especially if they're weird. Right. I mean, unusual.
1: Yeah. You never hear them, and all of a sudden, and then somebody else,
0: oh, oh, yeah,
1: yeah, like... The light keeps coming on. Ding, yeah. Ding,
0: ding. The rejoice mm-hmm. was one that I kept hearing Absalom everywhere. We've traded Jehu for Absalom. We traded Jehu for Absalom. I kept hearing that everywhere. Um, lions kept, you know. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, it, it, it really, it's that simple. So, he has these cracks. Here's why it's important. When you start walking in the glory, right? So, the glory is the divine essence of God, uh, the fullness of it. It's the wealth, it's the weighty presence, it's um, the anointing. So now you're walking in all the goodness of God, which I've still not attained the goodness that causes people to fear him. I'm still waiting for that. But anyway, so you walk in this glory, right? What happens? The cracks in the foundation widen. And eventually, right, they crumble. So that's why you can have someone that can minister at a church for 40-plus years, never dealt with the cracks in his foundation, and fell. That's why you can have another one that started out fine in Colorado Springs, did deal with the uh, cracks in his foundation, and fell. Same thing with Hillsong United. Same thing with Hillsong New York. You got to deal with stuff like pride, greed, uh, anger, gossip, uh, insecurities, rejection, All of those things are cracks.
1: I heard the best, uh, it goes right along with that, but it was talking about the cracks, Mm -hmm. that you have to deal with the cracks because when the glory of of God comes down, there's a weightiness to it. Yep. And if you do not deal with that and prepare yourself for that weight in your cracks, you will crumble,
0: basically, under the the weight. The weight. And here's the thing. The Lord is going to use those that are willing. That's right. And sometimes, though, they're not necessarily ready. He'll do everything in His power to get you ready. Everything. But there comes a point He's going to move and He's going to do what He needs to do. And so that's why it's so important, like you say, to deal with those foundations. Well, and I think,
1: you know, we talk about the goodness of God. And there's people like, if God was so good, how come I'm living like this? Well, if God is so good, how come I'm going through this relationship thing? But like you said, if there's a weight to the glory of God, and He allows you to have certain things, then that's really a detriment to you until you get
0: yourself ready. If the biggest crack is our perception of God. Mm -hmm. How we see God can be the biggest crack. If you see him as uh, allowing bad things to happen to you and he's in control of those things and he's against you and you can't trust him to do good and blah, blah, guess what? That's a pretty darn big crack. And it's contrary to the word. Um, And then I think in, is it in Corinthians? Uh, You you can just tell we're in a prophetic season. I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. even know why I said this shouldn't take long. (laughs) Famous last words. Just... Next time, be like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, just laugh. Yeah, right. uh, but I think, but this is good. It's good to have discussion. It's good uh, to do these things. But, okay, here it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he's talking about the jealousy and the strife. You were know, one saying, well, I follow Paul, and another saying, I follow Apollos, because Apollos had a very big work that he did in Corinth, and then the Apostle Paul did as well. So then he says, what then is Apollos uh, verse 5 What is Paul, servants for whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each? I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. So that right there, anybody who thinks titles of apostle and prophet and all that stuff are important, that right there, that is a function. It is simply a function by which people can recognize how you function. That's it. It shouldn't be anything where you're taking all these accolades and crap like that. It should be, I am nothing apart from God. He waters. He gave me this function. I operate in it. He gives the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Okay, so that's the apostolic doctrine. Do y'all remember what Paul's doctrine was? Y'all should know it after Romans. The indwelling. That was his doctrine. He said, you will be established by my doctrine. His doctrine is the indwelling of God. So then it says, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the only foundation we should have in our life is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is in us. How does he see us? How does he operate? What's his nature? Is he maybe a little irritated today? Is he happy today? What You know, like, what Everything and how we see ourselves should be filtered through Jesus Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So that is the foundation. So anything that is not centered in Jesus is a crack. And it probably needs to be dug up and uh, laid back down again. How do you do that? The epistles. The best way to build your foundation correctly is the epistles. Seriously, in the New Testament, especially Paul's. So in, to finish up, hopefully today, in 1 Kings chapter 10, we're going to get back over to our text. In uh, verse 26, it says, Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of wherever. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt, which, by the way, was against the law, and Q, and the king's traders received them from Q at a price. The chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 <coughs> se- shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's tra- traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Now listen to this from Deuteronomy seventeen fourteen through 17. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will send a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed send a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. Some people have taught that God didn't want a king. That's not true. This is in Deuteronomy, and he's saying that's fine. You can have a king, but I need to be the one to pick the king, Right? One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You shall not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself. Lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Do you see all the cracks? He did everything the law said. If there was one scripture that Solomon should have read over and over, it was this one. Okay? Now again, we talked about the problem of having so much wealth. What do you do with it all? You know, we've talked about that. that. I'm sure that can be a challenge like that testimony I gave you guys where she's like, we got so much coming in, we're like having trouble keeping up with getting it out, you know, getting it to orphanages and doing all this stuff. So there is, that is a problem. But here it says, don't do that. And here he was doing those very things. And then look at First Kings 11, 1-8, which is our, our um, main proof that he uh, did not study and take to heart Deuteronomy. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Good grief. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you will not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses, and then 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, which they think might be uh, Molech, I think. Um, so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Which, by the way, you sacrifice children to Molech. That's where abortion is in the Bible, mm-hmm. in case people are wondering. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not holy follow the Lord as his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. That is the saddest statement ever. Love for God is loyal. That's one of its definitions in the Hebrew and in the Greek. He's looking for loyal hearts. A loyal heart does what he says. That's all there is to it. And so it just, I mean, he was building pagan altars. It's like the saddest thing ever. Well, he was wise,
1: but he wasn't wise in the ways of God's heart.
0: Which is crazy because he had all the wisdom from God's heart written in Proverbs. And so that's why Bill Johnson says, if you don't live in the revelation you receive, you are deceived. That's why we shouldn't be impressed with gifting. Because gifting requires no particular skill from us. Okay. And so we have to learn to walk with the anointing, but that's about it. So way before King Solomon, God ordained them having a king. But these prohibitions were in place to protect them from wickedness and idolatry, okay? And it all, poop flows downhill. So it was for the king so that his poop wouldn't flow down to the rest of the nation. And so that's why leaders is so important. When you have a leader that's in uh, secret sin, you can just start looking at, what the people that are attracted to that church. Just start looking around. Not all of them. Not all of them. But you'll start seeing a pattern. It's very interesting. That happened at New Life. That happened at the church here uh, in Clovis. There's just different types that are drawn into, like uh, even fear. Um, you can have people that will go to church, and they're very fearful. There's like a cowardice in them. You can have a person that's angry, and obviously you got all these angry people coming. You know, so it just... that's why I'll be like God be ruthless with my heart if there's anything that's poopy I need you to get it out like show me I'll cooperate with you because it will uh, begin to affect other people so Solomon broke every one of these his marriage to Pharaoh's daughter for a treaty was a lack of trust in God his purchasing of hearts and chariots or horses and chariots from Egypt was a sign of his rebellion against God the wisest man on the earth during that time did not live in in according to the revelation of the wisdom he possessed. He knew what wisdom would say to these things because he wrote about them, and yet he chose to do them anyway. And on top of that, he worshipped other gods. This opened the door to generations of idolatry, mm-hmm. which eventually led to the destruction of both Israel and Judah. That's crucis Yeah. So then you have 1 Kings 11, 9-13. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from him, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. So now there's a higher responsibility, right? Because he has seen him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he didn't keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not, not kept my covenant, in my statutes I commanded you, I'm going to tear this kingdom from you, and I'm going to give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, so the only thing that kept Solomon from being completely destroyed was David. I will not tear it away uh, out of the hand of, uh, uh, from your hand, but I will do it from the hand of your son. I will not tear away all of the kingdom. I'm going to give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, David my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen so, before Solomon turned away from the Lord, we have these words in uh, 1 Kings 5, 5, 4, which says, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There's neither adversary nor misfortune, right? So, there's peace. Even Satan couldn't touch the kingdom. Why? Wisdom. Okay? Now, 1 Kings 11:14. 14 the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was one of the royal house of Edom. Now remember, we learned about him last time. Edom are Esau people, long-standing enemies of Israel. And Doag the Edomite was from Esau. And he's the one that caused all the people from Nob to be killed. For when David was in Edom, and Joab the commander of the army went up to bury the slain, he struck down every male in Edom. For Joab and all Israel remained there six months until they had cut off every male in Edom. But Hadad fled uh, to uh, Egypt, and he remained there uh, or together with certain Edomites of his father's servants. uh, And he was like a little kid, I guess. So they set out for Midian, and they came to Paran, and they took men with them for Paran, and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house. And he also assigned him an allowance of food and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him a marriage, the sister of his own wife, the sister of Tephines, the queen. And the sister of Tephines bore him Ginebath, his son, whom Tephenes weaned in Pharaoh's house, and Ginebath was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. But when Hadad heard in Egypt that David had died, and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, he said to Pharaoh, Hey, let me depart, that I may go to my own country. And he said, well, what have you lacked with me that you're now seeking your own? And he's like, hey, let me go. So he was going to have vengeance against the house of David, right? Then, here is a servant. In 1 Kings 11, Jeroboam, the son of Nibet, N- an Ephraimite of Zerada, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name, whatever, good grief, also (laughs) lifted up his hand against the king, and this is the reason why he lifted his hand up against the king. Now get this, now we're going back to the indentured servants that we studied several weeks ago. Okay, so Solomon built the Milo and closed up the breach of the city of David his father. The man Jeroboam was very capable And when Solomon saw the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. So these are indentured servants. They're slaves. They're getting a little bit of pay, but not much. Okay? So here we have them. They're of the house of Joseph. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet, how would you say his name? Ahijah, the Shelonite, found him on the road. Now the prophet had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. The prophet laid hold of the new garment that was on him, and he tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. Now he's going to have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they've forsaken me. And they've worshipped Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, They've not walked in my ways, doing right in my sight, and keeping my statutes and my rules as David had done. Nevertheless, I'm not going to take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I'll make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, who kept my commandments. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hands, and I will give to you ten. yet to his son one. Now he's making sure he understands, okay, you're going to have ten. That's it. David, because of David, I'm going to give Solomon's son, Rehoboam, actually two. He'll keep Judah, and he'll get Benjamin, right? So that's what he's saying, and he keeps reiterating and repeating himself this idea, okay? So then he says, I will be with you, and I will build you a sure house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you, and I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever." Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam. Isn't that amazing? So then Jeroboam goes to Egypt. So Shishak, king of Egypt, kept him there until Solomon died. Solomon began to do the very thing Saul did to his dad. The prophetic word is: I'm going to raise up your servant. You should have said, okay. Wisdom would have been, how can I help him? I know it sounds crazy, but Jonathan saw David was anointed. Jonathan gave up his right to be king. Right? He knew David was supposed to be king. He loved David more than he loved his own soul. Solomon should have done the same thing. And if he would have done the same thing, would Jeroboam have maybe not built all the other stuff? Could there have been some type of treaty between the tribes? Could there have been a totally different picture? And what's even more amazing is Jeroboam did the exact thing Solomon did by perpetuating idolatry. So they're all cracks. These are all cracks. So what we're seeing is a reversal, an exact reversal, of all the things David had accomplished, all the things Solomon had accomplished. So my question is this, was it because he finished the house and he had no other purpose, no vision for his life after that? He even wrote, without prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. Therefore, he would have known, get a new vision. You could say that Ecclesiastes is the writing of a man who lost his way. And it's a sad ending to one of the greatest kings ever next to David. And As far as Joab, we'll get to him. Don't worry about that. But the fact that he had to go to Egypt and be trained by Egypt is really sad because Solomon could have had another response. So in 1 Kings it says, Now the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did in his wisdom Are they not written in the books of the Acts of Solomon? I don't know, Mr. Author. I've never read the books of the Acts of Solomon. And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Solomon slept with his fathers, and he was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. So, as we continue our say of the kings, I want you to always keep in mind from this point forward that everything that happens next started here with Solomon and all those women. Women, addiction to women, is usually centered in a fatherless spirit or even a motherless spirit. It's an orphan mentality. And so that's the crux. That's the problem. And uh, it was God's presence that kept Israel from being like all the other kingdoms. And it's the responsibility of kings to maintain presence. Well, we saw that that's exactly... What happened to David? I mean, he looked on Bathsheba,
1: and then we know that his family didn't even consider him, didn't even call him in when you know they were going to look for the future king and annoy him. Yeah, he wasn't. He, he was still out there. Doing not even something. a consideration. Not even considered. So you know, he had uh, he was not held in high regard in his own family. Yeah, and
0: then you have the the idea that even the great prophet Samuel looked at the oldest and said oh he must be the king mm-hmm. discernment you know it's if you if there's anything you ask for ask for wisdom because contained within wisdom is discernment right and so you know Samuel I mean not a word that he spoke dropped to the ground and yet he used an outer appearance to say well this must be the king you know so it's it's really important we're I remember the Lord told me, He said, the Antichrist is going to be so slick, so charismatic, so pretty, that the people of God are going to have to have discernment or they will vote for him. You know what I mean? It's like, and when you look at even the foundation of this country and the formation of it, only 25% really were impacted in the war. The majority of people didn't want it. They wanted to stay with Britain because that's all they knew. And so we have to be willing to embrace being uncomfortable, uh, being ostracized, being talked about wrongly, all of those things. The best lesson you can embrace is a lesson of living before an audience of one. That's really the best lesson because nothing else will matter except his opinion.
1: Well, and we look and all the way through the Bible... A good percentage of the time. It was never the oldest thing. Right. You know, that ended up being impactful or used by God. It was the second.
0: Yep. And I want to know, what the heck was Solomon doing enslaving his own brethren as indentured servants? Why was the house of Joseph, which would have been descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh, why were they picked on, on, and (laughs) why were they being enslaved like that? Now, I do know that... The tabernacle was initially in uh, Shiloh, which is uh, the, tr- the t- territory of Ephraim. So I don't know if there was something going on there or if they weren't supporting Solomon. But it's an interesting thing because the law says you don't enslave your brethren. You're not supposed to do that. So if anybody ever finds out anything, I would really like to know because that is a very intriguing thing to me.
1: I have a feeling you'd have to go to the teachings and the traditional Probably of the Judaism.
0: Yeah, I could probably do a Google search on communist Google platform and find out. <laughs> Does well, it
1: come up when you
0: put that in? It communist might. Google. Yeah. Well, let's pray on communist Facebook Live.